Hi, this is Bob Calhoun of Old Movies for Young Stoners. Roger Franklin died unexpectedly on January 27th. He was the father of Greg Franklin and grandfather of Felina. We've talked a lot about Raj on the show, and we hope to have him on as a guest at some point, mostly because there wasn't anyone who loved weed more than him. I first met Raj when Greg and I were part of the San Francisco music scene and this punk wrestling show called Incredibly Strange Wrestling. While most of us weren't telling our folks we did these things, Greg brought his white-haired, bearded, hippie dad to all the shows, and Raj was right there, jammed up against the ring with all these sweaty drunks, and snapping hundreds of photos of the mayhem with his ever-present camera. Many of his images are in my memoir of those years, Beer, Blood, and Cornmeal, and the reason for that was because Raj was very generous with his work. As a photographer, he was a pillar of the Northern California music scene, and and he took thousands of photos of concerts, car shows, and beer fests, ranging from his favorite band, Willie and the Nighthawks, at the Ukiah Brew Pubs that were walking distance from his home, to B.B. King at Canocti Harbor. And he shared those pictures with everybody who was in them. My wife Rosie and I made sure we visited Raj and Greg's mom Becky every time we went to wine country, and the last time I saw Raj, he made sure we left with a couple of jars of real good Mendocino green bud and a half a case of the wine he bottled himself. He was just a wonderful, generous man, and we miss him already. Greg and Felina will not be in this episode, and our hearts go out to them and the Franklin family. Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast that pairs cannabis with classic and cult movies to enhance your trip through cinema history. When you have an entire genre of films devoted to the craft of miniature cities being smashed by men in rubber monster suits, things can get trippy and weird. And we've got a pair of the more tripped out Japanese kaiju movies for you today. But don't expect to see Godzilla, Mothra, or Rodan in these flicks. We're talking the Toho Studios B-Team here, the misfit toys and bad boys of Japanese monster world. But like the movies with those better known beasts, both of today's selections showcase the art artistry of director Ishiro Honda and special effects wizard Eiji Tsuburaya. First, we've got two pissed off furry man monsters slugging it out across Japan, munching on any inept lounge singers that get in their way in War of the Gargantuas. And then the fungus isn't just among us, it is us in the brown acid trip that is Matongo, a.k.a. Attack of the Mushroom People. You are what you eat, and you are eating magic mushrooms because you're listening to Old Movies for Young Stoners. Old Movies for Young Stoners. I'm Bob Calhoun, author of The Murders That Made Us, a true crime history of San Francisco, available wherever fine paperbacks are sold. And joining me is my co-host and co-founder of this podcast and your guide on the Hollywood Punk Rock Graveyard Tour. Look it up on Facebook, look it up on Instagram, and book your tour today. He is Corey Sklar. 
Goth, I'm talking to you. Are you coming to LA for the Cruel World Festival to see Susie and Iggy and all the rest? Well, on your day off, why not take a tour in the graveyard, see some of the greatest legends of punk and goth? I'll be your guide. Look it up, Punk Rock Graveyard Tour on Instagram. Hi, Bob. Nice to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. This is so good. It's been way too long, man. It's been since the holiday special. I miss podcasting with you. But it's not just you and I today. I know the Franklins are on assignment, but I am so honored, so happy to have, no joke, in all of podcasting, this dude is probably my number one. No, he is. He's my number one favorite podcaster of all time. I've been listening to him for over a decade. From Junk Food Dinner Podcast, it is Kevin Moss. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Big fan of the show. Love uh, old movies. I consider myself a... <laughs> A youngish stoner. I mean, I'm 40 years old, so not that young. But look, we're not we're not the young stoners. This is for young stoners to listen to, and us okay. to. Uh, I'm. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, uh, when Bob told me we're doing a psycho psychedelic kaiju episode, there's only one person that came to mind. One person that I wanted their input on this genre, and that's you. Um, junk food dinner, 13 years. You just made a big announcement. You're scaling back. You're going to do a, a monthly format. And you're saying it's because you want some more time. I did a logical subtraction just for like seven years or nine years or something, but it was so good to get my uh, my Sundays back. It was like, hallelujah. But I'm having you on here because I want you to spill the tea. The real reason you're leaving. You fucked one of your co-host wives, right? No, really. <laughs> no, no, nothing too scandalous. Honestly, what it really boils <laughs> down to is I want the, the podcast to go on longer. Like I want it to go for many more years and there's just no way that i could continue for several more years at three movies a week so really what it boils down to is i i want it to go on more so it's not really the end it's just a, a, an extension by way of uh scaling back but i think it'll be a, ultimately a better thing because yeah i mean we've been going hard for 13 years and i think it's just time yeah like you said we need our sundays back we need a few days yeah. a week in the month back to uh start hanging out with our wives and girlfriends and you know so i think it'll be uh it'll be nice thank you for all the, the the entertainment you've given me through the years it is truly my favorite podcast and you you're you're such a pro and you're so awesome and i value your input on on film so greatly so uh thanks for joining us today and um, yeah, i'm looking forward to the monthly format because it'll make it more special it will yeah and i think it, it'll be a better product i'll be more energized i'll be more enthusiastic and you won't get those off episodes where you can tell that I've had a rough week and like, yeah. And you're you know. like, fuck man. I just, I don't know. I had this movie on the background. It, it was okay. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's an amazing feat to do that many episodes for that long. Cause like I said earlier, like we could barely get our act together to do two episodes a month, let alone four. Yeah. I don't know what the hell we were thinking when we started doing that. I remember even saying it out loud that first episode going, yeah, we'll just watch three episodes a week, every week. And we'll do it. And I'm like, well, this is going to last maybe six months. And then 13 <laughs> years later, I was like, my life, where did it go? <laughs> the, the show does keep getting like you're, you guys are at the top form right now. I mean, it's always been great, but right now your timing, you know, the cadence with everyone, it's very good. So um, yeah, it's, I it's uh, it, it never, the quality never dipped in junk food dinner. That's what I'll say. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up while you're here, Kevin, my local drive-in, which is the Mission Tiki yeah. drive-in in Montclair. Montclair is also the home of the first In-N-Out Burger, by the way. And uh, so if you want to get your In-N-Out merch, that's where you go. Um, this was a place for me to go a lot during pandemic. 
because mm -hmm. there wasn't shit to do, what did you do? You get in the car with your friends, you get some doobies, you get some six packs, you get some snacks from the first in and out and you go to the drive-in. I saw a lot of movies at the Mission Tiki drive-in, um, including a Garth Brooks concert film, which I felt like I was going to get killed at. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and after 67 years, the Mission Tiki drive-in uh, finally closed down here in Montclair in Southern California. There's a great Hugh Hauser episode about it, if anyone wants to check it out. It's free on uh, YouTube. But uh, as, as a drive-ins man, uh, Kevin, um, are, are, are a lot of these shutting down? I think they are. And can maybe you could shout out some that you uh, particularly enjoy that you still visit. And what is it about the drive-in? that you love yeah for sure well i mean i'm out here in the midwest i'm in ohio so we have i feel a little bit more drive-ins than you guys i think you know obviously the big thing that has killed drive-ins other than the fact that just people don't really go to them anymore is it, it's just property i mean if you, it takes a lot of land to have a drive-in and if it's more valuable to put a walmart or something up there you know a lot of the people that own that land is, are going to take it every time but fortunately there are still a few that exist out here and of the few that exist there are still a handful that do some really cool like retro programming and stuff i mean unfortunately if you do find a drive-in existing now most of them just cater to family fair you know whatever the most popular stuff is at the time and that's fine i, I understand you got to make that money but there are some cool drive-ins out here like i we go to a place out in shelbyville indiana called the skyline drive-in they do monster movie fest uh, a couple times throughout the year they have some cool cult and exploitation movie nights that they do. I've also gone to the Mahoning Drive-In uh, outside of Philadelphia a couple times. We went there last summer for their VHS Fest, uh, where they played a bunch of obscure horror movies on VHS. We're going out there again in April. They're playing the 1993 movie Freaked on 35 millimeters. So yeah, we got to go see that. <laughs> oh uh, man, they're playing Freaked on 35 mil at the drive-in. Yeah. Oh shit, that sounds amazing. I'm so jealous you get to do that. But yeah, there's some cool one. Riverside Drive-in outside of Pittsburgh does some cool horror nights there cool. is the the malco theater down in memphis so yeah you, you gotta travel but if you're willing to travel there's some fun drive-ins still cranking them out throughout the country man i uh so admire you for actually tra travel to these places it's amazing yeah, yeah no there's the uh, up here in the bay area uh it's a little farther away from me than i'd like it there's the solano drive-in it's a west wind all digital drive-in and it's still alive and kicking and i believe is the santa cruz one still operational there's one in santa cruz as well and you know with amc announcing they're going to charge even more for the middle seats i think it's time for me to get in the Honda CRV and drive out to Solano and see movies there because it's, you know, it's nice to, it's nice, Bob. It's nicer than going into the AMC, which I've been having terrible AMC experiences lately. More about that in a second. But also, I took my dog to see 101 Dalmatians. I can't take my dog into a movie theater. I bet some asshole out there does because they say it's my service dog, but just people don't bring your dog into the movie theater. Okay. That's what I say. Bring it to the drive-in. Um, yeah, the the one out here in Montclair, it was four big screens. And during the pandemic, it was well attended and all movies were going on at all times. And then uh, this place closed last week. And um, I heard that there were only two screens were running and it was sparsely attended. People didn't even come out for the last uh, night. And I didn't either. 
Yeah, I didn't yeah. either. So yeah, I'm I'm a jerk too. Um, you know, yeah. you know, it's funny. The real estate's worth a lot, but it's amazing how many drive-ins, at least in the Bay Area, still exist in derelict form. Decades later, there's the Geneva Drive-in behind the Cow Palace, uh, just outside of San Francisco and Daly City. It's still like you've got the rotten screens. The screens are falling apart, but it's still there. And like Hunter Thompson wrote a column when he was a columnist for the examiner. And it's like, one of the, it's like actually kind of a cheat because he says he's going to review pale rider with Clint Eastwood. And I think Rambo too. And he keeps <laughs> saying he's going to do this, but he's just, he is just cock teasing you with this. He never really writes about those movies. He writes a bit about the drive-in. And so that thing's probably been closed since the 80s or early 90s. Uh, there's the, uh, that what is it, the flea market, the Alameda flea market that's just off of 880 in Oakland. I drive by it all the time, and it is at the drive-in, the, you know, basically the Oakland Coliseum drive-in just south of the Oakland Coliseum where the A's play. So yeah. there are these derelict drive-ins. So they close them down because the land isn't used, but they still, they're still there, you know, the, to remind us of the greatness that once Ooh, was. Some urban exploration. There's one out here that the screens are still sitting there, but they don't show movies. It is just a swap meet now. Right. And they, this, this one's, that's what they do. That's how they pay the bills. A lot of these places. Is that but like this, an Azusa or something? This I don't know what the city, but it's like on the way. It's called Santa Fe Springs, and yeah. it's in the city of Santa Fe Springs, which is on the way to like Disneyland outside of LA, going towards okay. going south to Orange County. And they have a giant sign off the freeway, and there's always the cheesiest tribute bands playing there. For instance, I'll tell you a little bit what's coming up on the calendar tonight. You can go see Appetite for Destruction, a tribute to Guns N' Roses. T come on, get a little more creative with the name, guys. <laughs> Next week, you have Bruno and the Hooligans, a tribute to Bruno Mars. Oh, my God. Come on. Who wants to see that? Let's see. Oh, this one sounds cool. Mood Lifers, a tribute to Rush. That one's like more creative of a name. Oh, my God. Judas Priest UFO and Queensryche tribute bands happening in two weeks. And the Handsome Devils, a tribute to Morrissey and the Smiths happening on the 3rd of March, which that is only something that could happen in SoCal. I don't know if Morrissey tributes would fly anywhere else, but he's <laughs> fine here. Everyone loves him here. Uh, you know, that's a good use of the space, I'm going to say. That isn't that, is, <laughs> that isn't like the Hemlock go in San Francisco going from being this punk club to being this meeting space for, for uh, venture capitalists and keeping the name. That's not like that. Uh, having Morrissey and even uncreatively named GNR tributes. That's, that's a, that's an excellent <laughs> use of the space there. I'd say. Well, I was just going to say the other thing that I found weird, we went to um, the Las Vegas drive-in when we were out in Vegas and oh, a lot cool. of the, the West coast ones I've found are your drive-ins are like paved, like parking lots. Yes, you know? exactly. Where, yeah. 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 Whereas out here they're in like fields, like grassy fields. So the cool thing is if you travel to one, a lot of places allow you to set up tents and like camp out which helps because like obviously then you don't have to get a hotel room and you know you get to camp out and if you're you know a young stoner it makes it nice you know for partaking and tenting out at the drive-in yeah you can smoke at the drive-in you can't do that at amc but i have memories of like you know your parents like hiding you in the trunk so to not pay the two dollars in the 70s as you go to the redwood city drive-in uh, oh, yeah. you know I, I mean i i gotta tell my like you know my main drive-in story is this is funny my mom for some reason 
This is about 1977. She had to see that movie, The Car, which is like a remake, a ripoff of Jaws with a Lincoln Continental that's possessed by Satan himself or a Lincoln Town car. So it's this demonic car that runs over people, but the the whole setup and the pacing is just like Jaws, except with, it's like a cross between Jaws and the Exorcist or the Omen or something. So, so that was rated R, and she was already okay with me seeing that. But then afterwards, we stayed to the second feature. There were always double features back then, or there usually are, and the second feature was fucking Death Race 2000, which uh, begins with a cartoon, really. There's a really bad animation in the credit sequence. So, And it also had Sylvester Stallone, which I knew from Rocky, and he was the biggest movie star of, of that time, of 1976-77. So they wanted to go. My mom's like, this movie's terrible. And she just wanted to get the hell out of there. And I freaked the fuck out and made the whole family sit through all of death race 2000 and it <laughs> it made it's this podcast is probably because of that which i mean there's uh dio's future wife is in that movie and she's topless uh she's giving sly stallone a rub down by the way that's wendy dio is is in that before she was married to dio uh david david carradine's in it it's yep. this you know this crazy crazy post-apocalyptic spoof it's actually everything in death race 2000 has pretty much come true by the way we we it's a, a fascist america as depicted in uh Par, paul bartell's film there is totally happening now so so go check it out good thing you threw that temper tantrum bob i did i fucking freaked the fuck out like i was possessed by the devil car do you remember have any particular drive-in memories uh kevin from growing up yeah no big time i i mean we used to go to the drive-in a lot as a family we had one right in our neighborhood uh that still existed up until about 2002 before it got torn down i remember the first movie i remember going to was poltergeist 2 had just come out and they were playing that and then as a double feature they were playing the first one as well i remember as a kid I, i think my parents were like well it's like it's rated pg like it should be fine but yeah watching that dude like tear his face off in the mirror during poltergeist one i remember had like a severe impact on me and like like bob said that's probably implanted something in my dna somewhere that led me to be the man that i am today so you know i think david care uh david Carradine, i think david cronenberg is still pissed at steven spielberg that he got away with that and poltergeist and the exploding heads and raiders of the lost ark without an r i think oh yeah cronenberg yeah cronenberg is not happy with spielberg over over being able to do that yeah. Uh, one other thing is when, you know, if you were a kid in 1977, you were way too into Star Wars. And even, you know, just like it, it just it did something to our Gen X, young Gen X brains. So when we go to the drive-in, if Star Wars was playing at the drive-in, you know, and you weren't seeing Star Wars, you, your family wanted to see something else. You know, I, I have lots of memories of me in the back seat of our Pontiac Bonneville turned around looking out the back windshield at the screen that was showing Star Wars. And everybody like you, me and, you know, who, whatever other kids were there, were just watching silent Star Wars while listening to Exorcist 2, The Heretic, or whatever the <laughs> fuck my parents decided to see. Bob, as a day one Star Warser, Star Wars man, are you still into it? Not really. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm just all warsed out, and uh, I'm also marveled out. Wow, you, you being marveled out says something, because you are a lifelong believer. I was a true believer. Yeah, yeah. it's, I don't know. It's just, uh, 
I'm just kind of, I, I couldn't get through Wakanda forever, which I really hate to say it. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, I, I'm like, how did you make uh, Mayan Namer this boring? <laughs> Bob, I'm sure you saw that Warren Beatty put on the Dick Tracy uh, suit again and went on some special on, on TCM to keep the copyright. And it looks so funny. <laughs> yeah. Where he's like, where he's like, God, Dick Tracy bitching about himself making that movie. It's yes. like, he's burying his own movie and everything that the him as Dick Tracy doesn't like about the movie is like the things that are cool about the movie. He's a trip. That guy is all kinds of messed up. I feel like. Um, my, my prediction, what I want to happen is for Warren Beatty to go on the next TCM cruise and to show reds and for the <laughs> wait staff of the cruise ship to see reds and go totally Marxist and, like and, it. and have a Marxist revolution on the TCM He would never cruise. eat on the TCM cruise. War of the Gargantuan. Where had such a monster come from? What forces created such a devastating destroyer? Who or what could stand up to it? Only a second mighty Gargantua could stop it. You'll see all of their terrifying battle to the death when you come to the greatest monster movies ever made. I remember seeing a film called The Gargantuas, I believe. And it was the good Gargantua and the bad Gargantua. At the end of it, the good Gargantua had to sacrifice himself to defeat the bad Gargantua and, and rid the world of evil. Spoilers, Brad! Spoilers! In Taoism and Chinese cosmology, the universe is governed by the eternal conflict between two opposing forces, the negative and feminine yin and the positive masculine yang. Our first film reflects this duality at the center of Eastern thought as it depicts the ceaseless battle between Gyra, the evil green gargantua who chomps on humans and spits out their clothes, and Sanda, the benevolent brown gargantua, a protector of humankind. As always, tanks, planes, and even Japanese electro rays are useless against our monsters because attacking them is like attacking the very fabric of the universe itself. Starring the lovely Kumi Mizuno, who is in both of our films today, and a decidedly unimpressed Russ Tamblin, plus Haruo Nakajima and Yu Sakita as the real stars of the show, The Monsters. Coming soon to Sven Gulli, this is War of the Gargantuas. Uh, Kevin, tell us a little bit about your history with this film. Well, growing up, I fell in love with the Godzilla franchise of films just by I saw the the first one the American version of Godzilla King of the Monsters over broadcast television late one night and just immediately was hooked they weren't as widely available as they are now so you had to kind of just take what you could get if you saw something at the video store that you hadn't seen before snatch it up or um, if you happen to catch something on cable but even then there are still huge gaps that like of stuff that you couldn't see but I remember I found a VHS copy of War of the Gargantuas when I was a teenager. I think it's Suncoast Video and um, snatched it up because I knew I knew it was Godzilla adjacent. I knew it. I mean, obviously, Godzilla is not in it. It doesn't say Godzilla on it, but I knew that it was a Japanese monster movie. And yeah, I, I loved it from the first time I saw it. And so the VHS version I saw was the so there's two different U.S dubs of the or english dubs of this movie the one that's currently on the criterion channel is the international dub and then there was a u.s dub that was that they played theatrically and that's the one that's on the vhs tape and i only say that because the 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 dub that i saw at first didn't have any reference to 
the Frankensteins, as they call them in this, which uh, <laughs> is because this was supposed to be a kind of a, a sequel to uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, which was um, another Ishiro Honda movie that came out, I think, the year before, where it's this Frankenstein monster. And I kind of put that in air quotes because he's more of just like a feral caveman looking guy uh, fighting Baragon, another kaiju. But anyway, this is supposed to be kind of a sequel that the, these gargantuas are supposed to be i guess spawns or precursors or something to the the frankenstein monsters but i didn't know that at the time i just knew them as gargantuas but anyway i think the thing that i loved about this from a kaiju standpoint because a lot of the kaiju movies you know you've got dudes in rubber suits and they're all very like restricted as far as movement goes it's they're all very lumbering and kind of just very obviously weighed down by a heavy rubber suit but in this their gargantuas are basically just you know dudes in kind of sasquatch type suits which gives them a, a huge range of motion that you don't see in other kaiju movies so you get to see the gargantuas run you get to see the gargantuas fight like they they're like there's like a lot of like almost wrestling kind of moves when the gargantuas fight each other which was kind of unprecedented for kaiju films that i had seen before because it's like yeah the, the the kaiju will fight in big cities they'll stomp on uh buildings and stuff but you don't really get to see them like running full speed and like throwing you know clotheslines on each other and stuff so that's what i really loved about this so yeah i was uh, a fan of this from the start and I'm, I'm i'm kind of bummed that it is yet i mean i'm glad that it's on criterion channel and it looks really good there uh but i hope that eventually criterion puts this out on a nice blu-ray with some bonus features because i think right now on home video outside of streaming it's it's kind of hard to get a hold of which dub do you like better kevin the the international one or the the u.s one i've never seen it in its original japanese language with subtitles i think that's the way i would probably want to see it most just to see how that plays out but even then uh by Russ Tamlin's dubbed over in all versions of it, by the way, because they don't use his original audio because apparently he was a real dickhead on this uh, shoot. <laughs> he, he didn't want to be there. He constantly would argue with Ishiro Honda. It wouldn't say the lines that he was supposed to say. He just ad libbed most of his own lines. And Ishiro Honda apparently wanted to kill him like throughout the making of this. So when it's dubbed over, like the, the international dub has like the actual lines that are in the script. So it doesn't match his voice at all. And then the US dub, I think Russ Tamlin does the dub, but he didn't remember his lines either because he was just making him up at the time so he's again just ad-libbing his dub so again it doesn't match up so whatever version you watch Russ Hamlin's never gonna match up with he's his. fucking it up yeah <laughs> they hated him like yeah uh mizuno hated him everybody they they liked nick adams this was a deal yeah. between what the animation studio that did mr magoo and toho they put there was some american money in it and they always wanted like an american star and the only stars they could get were people that were on their way down or just starting their downward downward descent and well, you know, any, any descents downward, but just starting their descent away from kind of Hollywood A-list stuff. And they, they love Nick Adams because you watch um, Invasion of Astro Monster, Monster Zero or Frankenstein Conquers the World, uh, the 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 first movie in this series, uh, quote unquote, like Nick Adams is actually acting. 
He's actually yeah. gives a shit. And and Russ Tamblin just so didn't give a shit. Russ Tamblin had been in West Side Story, but he'd also been in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. He's like huge Technicolor musicals, like the biggest movies of the 50s and early 60s. And then he's in this and he was just kind of above it all. But then after this, what's he in? He's in these Al Adamson movies like Satan Sadist and Frankenstein yeah. versus Dracula, like stuff that makes War of the Gargantuas look like Lawrence of Arabia by comparison yeah he definitely was the weak link in this movie upon my fir very first viewing of this i i didn't know its history i didn't know what it was and uh any advice of, to people like me throw your conception of what a frankenstein is out the window because that has no bearing on the frankensteins in this movie i did watch the criterion one uh that criterion channel is really good kids subscribe support them they just laid off a bunch of people um but uh, so I did have the I did watch the international dub where they're just calling these dudes Frankenstein's the whole time, which I thought was so funny. I couldn't stop laughing. Um, and then I did. I didn't know. I didn't know Russ Tamblin was in this. I was like, who's this Wallace Shawn with hair looking motherfucker in this movie? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, that's Russ Tamblin. But like uh, in a movie that's so energetic and has such cool kaiju fights, uh, he does manage to bog it down somehow. <laughs> he, but he is the only one that does. It's a good movie. Um, it opens up with a scene at sea, uh, a dude sailing a sail barge and gets attacked by this uh, octopus why are yeah. why do all these uh movies start with the boat attack i'm gonna guess because they had the set at toho studios and they just wanted to use it a lot eiji suburaya the special effects wizard of of toho studios and kaiju films before this he made a like a, per, a japanese pearl harbor propaganda movie and oh. he was great at creating those miniatures but japan is an island nation so a lot more Japanese people uh, live by the sea and, and have an attachment to the sea and fishing is a big industry there. And just a lot more people work on boats and work on ships and and oh. take ships to island to island and island hop that way. So they, you know, I think that's that's just part of their lives. But, you know, the monsters come from the sea. They're all most of the kaiju are sea monsters, except like Mothra or something and and brown gargantua. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that scene at sea is incredible, and this movie doesn't make you wait. And so the initial scene is this dude's out there on the sail sail barge. He gets attacked by this giant octopus kaiju, which looks so incredible. It is those tentacles look so crazy real. They're slimy. They look real. I don't I don't know. And the way they 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 move and and grab the the guy in the boat amazing um so right away this movie throws you in it and it's really cool and then like you think the attack's over but it's not because then the frankenstein comes and then fights the octopus and it's amazing and uh, uh right away it's like a one-two punch this movie and i didn't realize why i like these gargantuan monsters frankenstein sorry that's what i'm gonna say that's the version i said but uh kevin helped me articulate that right now because it's because their fluid movement and more human-like fight moves are just exciting after watching Godzilla and Mothra for so long. So that's really cool. It does then get all these movies have this uh, where there's just a bunch of guys in white coats talking for a long time. And it ha it does happen in this one too. I'm, I'm sad to report, but not as bad as the others. And I think that's why I like that one Godzilla movie. That's just like a Godzilla clip show with his son that we watched. Oh, Bob. all monsters attack. 
um, I like that movie a lot just because it was like a, but it was like the best clips from all the other movies. Just like, and not a lot of dudes in white coats talking. I think that's why I like that. Um, do you like that one, Kevin? Or, or yeah. <laughs> okay, good because we learned that it has a bad reputation. And uh, I liked Godzilla's son or daughter. I forget which one it is, but I like that little guy. But yeah, the the fights in this movie are so cool, and uh, they make it worth the wait to watch Russ Tamblin have a bad attitude about being on set. Um, screw you, Russ Tamblin. Uh, the music in this movie is great. The sets are so lush and beautiful and crazy colorful and look amazing. The monsters look incredible. I had such a fun time with this movie. So, um, yeah, upon my first viewing, I, I had a blast. A lot of guys in white coats talking, but it's okay because the fights make it worth it. And also, throughout your conception of Frankenstein, also, uh, one of the Frankensteins, uh, you get to see him as a baby in this movie, and it's very cute. He looks like a Monchichi. He looks just like a Munchichi. He looks like Chaka the Munchichi from Land of the Lost. And those those scenes, like, it's weird because Kumi Mizuno is in Frankenstein Conquers the World, but she has a whole different name in this movie. It's like a it's like a sequel to it, but then they, I think Ishiro Honda just wanted to do this gargantuous thing because they're based on these Japanese folk creatures. Like, there's a sea, a, a sea giant and a land giant. You know, it didn't matter. I mean, seeing this thing as a kid, all kids love this movie. Uh, to Gen X parents of small children, or millennial parents of, of small children. Yeah, will this movie traumatize your kids when the green gargantua eats people and spits out their clothes? Yes, it will. But you know you're all watching The Last of Us with the little little shits in the room anyway. You don't give a shit. Just, you know, put this on Criterion or Tubi. Kids love this movie because it's like so elemental. Like, you know, when there's a good one and a bad one and they're kind of brothers and they're fighting. Kids who fight their brothers all the time can relate to this because you know you're always the good brother and they're the bad brother this is a treat for children maybe a little traumatic but what is it what is it so i highly recommend it to people with kids yeah i, I it's funny you mentioned that that scene when the green gargantuan is eating people and he picks them up and he goes like this trump 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 and i feel like the the game video game rampage which i used to play a lot modeled its people eating graphics after the green gargantua is there a frankenstein in uh in in rampage no no it's no. a wolf it's <laughs> wolf. a wolf a, there's a wolf man though yeah there's a wolf uh gorilla and a kind of godzilla type dinosaur creature oh man when i grow up and i get some money i'm gonna have one of those machines right in my living room just like silver spoons <laughs> you know i like the movie with the rock i i like it better than most of the newer godzilla movies they made a wait they made a rampage movie <laughs> with yeah. the rock yeah yeah what it's... i had no idea um bob do you like it better uh, when they call them Frankensteins or do you like it better when they're gargantuas? Which uh, version did you grow up with? I, I don't really read. You know, they might have called them Frankensteins and whatever I watched on Channel 2 as a child. You know, but really gargantuas is a cooler word for kids. Kids calling them Frankensteins just confuses people and, and it confuses <laughs> us. And we're like in our 40s and 50s. So, I, yeah, I, I say gargantuas like kids. I think that name kids. Kids just love that fucking name and adults love that name. It's fun for all ages. Yeah, it is really fun. Yeah, I prefer Gargantuas as well, just because it just makes more sense. It, I think you should probably divorce this movie from Frankenstein Conquers the World because, like you said, it's the, the connection's tangential at best. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned kids like the Gargantua name. And I, I think one of the reasons this movie is so beloved by, by younger 
people is because like Corey was saying, I think it has a lot more kaiju action than a lot of movies of this time. Like like you said, there is certainly the time with the dudes in the white lab coats, you know, hypothesizing and the army guys figuring out their strategies. But I think this movie does cram in more action than most kaiju films of this time because a lot of these movies when you break it down to like how many minutes there's actual kaiju on screen or even less time of them actually like fighting it, it a lot of times it's only like 10 or 15 minutes out of these 90 minute movies that actually have actual like kaiju battles so this one i think packed a little bit more punch than the other ones which one out of the classic toho era packs the most kaiju action into the 90 minutes if you could name, name one title like the newer you get the more action they pack in so like like the, the ones that were made in the 90s have a lot more action okay. but if, you're, if you're looking for like classic era i yeah. think destroy all monsters maybe has the most just because okay. they tried to pack as many monsters into that one that's like a, the royal rumble of uh the kaiju <laughs> movies so i think because of that 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 might have like the most action per minute uh, you know i'm i'm gonna go controversial on you know and we, we could do it with a with a stopwatch at some point in the future but i think mothra versus godzilla actually has a lot of mothra fighting godzilla and the caterpillar mothras so there's also a lot of singing to mothra but that's that's yeah. that's weird and trippy in its own way and yeah that's that's probably that's the god the godfather of trippy kaiju right that's that's the one bob do you have a high tolerance for the scenes where there's no kaiju action and there's just people talking we talked about this with 20 million miles to earth where you were just angry at uh paul drake from perry mason as a general like it was. all the all the exposition yeah it was boring but i just knew that those guys are the conduits to monsters and so i was more patient with them like the monsters are going to show up and you just have this is just the penance we pay <laughs> while we're while we're on the subject of those guys uh jun tazaki is the general in this movie uh, he's like a chubby a chubbier japanese actor or stocky japanese actor with a mustache and he's in almost oh, all yeah. of these things usually playing a general or some kind of public official and it's always funny like he brings out all the tanks he brings out all you know he's the one bossing around the military and there's a point there though where it's like why is he bothering again this shit never fucking works it's hard to um it's hard to stand out as an actor in these movies you know but i want to say kumi mizuno who you did mention as lovely in the intro is actually so cool and fetching and and watchable and does keep the the dialogue going when Russ Tamlin is like fighting against it almost like a like a river going the wrong way. Um, she does uh, she does keep it fun and cool. And I yeah, after watching these two movies, I'm definitely a fan. Yeah, she's great. Um, another thing I have to say, I love the scene where Green Gargantua is just picking up the tanks and hurling them like baseballs into the mountainside. Like yeah, as Kevin said, there's just a lot of inventiveness. First, uh, one thing the monsters are quarter scale to like godzilla and the classic kaiju monsters they so like when green gargantua walks up to the airport like the airport towers about shoulder high where godzilla would just be it would be like shit halfway up to his shin or something and he'd just smash it all down ghidra or godzilla or somebody so that that gave uh suburaya a lot to work with like just that changing of perspective the changing of scale in this movie makes it different and like like uh, kevin said the monsters running you could see their faces the actors faces who are playing the gargantuas it's it's a mask modeled on their faces more instead of a big lizard head 
I know you guys are in love with these this, this monster design. As far as design goes, it's definitely not my favorite. I don't know how well it's aged. And like if a kid today would watch it, they'd, they'd say, oh, that's just a guy with some hair glued to his face. From far away, they look cool. Well, they also look like weed. That's right. They look like nugs. They look like nugs. It's green bud versus brown bud, you know. <laughs> we all know who wins that, that race. I am looking at the design now, and, and uh, maybe I was a bit unfair. They look very cool. And yes, they look exactly like marijuana. So I like them more than I did 10 minutes ago. Okay, before we get into the weed, uh, what about the words get stuck in my throat? Or maybe I should say, the words get <laughs> stuck in my throat. That's yeah. that song that lounge singer sings in that scene? Yes. Yeah, well, it's funny because, so that song, it's sung by Kip Hamilton, who was an actress. Uh, she's a Caucasian actress. I don't know how she ended up in this movie. Uh, but she was a TV star back in the 60s. She was in a lot of shows like Man From U.N.C.L.E. and Mike Hammer and Bewitched and stuff like that. But I guess she was known somewhat for singing and then somehow ended up in uh, War of the Gargantuas. Uh, according to this Shiro Honda book I have here, it is she was the girlfriend or at least a potential girlfriend of Henry Saperstein who put up the money for the american money that uh made war of the gargantuas that's a quote from russ tamblin so we could take it with a grain of salt or the whole box but that seems to be the prevailing uh theory or explanation for how she ends up uh murdering so wait <laughs> yeah. i i assume he was just like oh yeah he was interviewed for that book it's like oh yeah her she was she was her she was his girlfriend or something like he was very angry when he was answering that question that's how i mentioned i like that song a lot it has like a Burt Bacharach thing to it on like the second line of the verse. It has like this cool key change. I think it's a very good song. It got stuck in my head. And uh, yeah, um, thanks for the background on that, you guys. I was hoping you guys knew about her and who she was. Yeah, but I mean, her she's totally out of key the whole time and just kind of murdering the song there. You know, there, there could have been a better vocalist for it she was an actress she wasn't a vocalist look music is subjective to me she's had a kind of brazilian like astrid gilberto thing happening so that's just me <laughs> i i want to talk about the band though because like if you check out the drummer in that scene like the whole rest <laughs> of the band is really clean and really sharp and really really square but the drummer looks like he's all hung over he's got a hangdog look he looks like he might be stoned. He's like hitting the, hitting the, riding the hi-hat, riding the cymbal, just looks totally out of it. And then the trumpet player looks like he should be like managing a production line at Sony or something. And that's how the rest of the band looks. And they're all there, that Asahi rooftop beer garden, you know, which I wish I was at that Asahi rooftop beer garden. And half the people there are in like traditional Japanese dress. The other half are in Western suits and gowns and things. It, it looks like a happening place, the Asahi beer garden there. Yeah, absolutely. There's another kind of similar scene like this in Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, Godzilla versus Hidora, where they're at a Japanese cocktail club and it's kind of like a swinging Japanese band doing a similar thing, which I, I like that scene better than this. But I think this scene's more memorable just because the song is so, I don't know, if inadvertently catchy or maybe it is supposed to be catchy and then obviously the way that it ends with the gargantua actually picking up the lounge singer and her you know screaming from inside the palm of the gargantua's hand yeah yeah there there i don't know there is a point for me where i'm like green gargantua do your job 
right? <laughs> well, the fact that I was I was saying before that this movie is definitely like memorable to people of a certain age, right? Is because Devo covered this song too, so it must have been memorable for them as well. Yeah, it's funny. So Devo used to cover this song. This used to be their closer from like seventy seven oh. to seventy nine. They'd have their their boogie boy character come out on stage at the end of the show and sing the song to close the shows in the late seventies. And that was like their closer, which I thought is and and you know, if you know the Boogie Boy character, he sings in kind of a high pitched voice, kind of similar to this uh this lounge singer. And they they recorded a studio version. It never got released on any of their albums, but it is on their like greatest hits box set, the the pioneers that got scalped. Um, so there is a studio version out there of it as well. But if you saw Devo in the late seventies, chances are you saw the show end with a cover of this. <laughs> oh, good looking out, Kevin. Yeah, that is some devotion there, though, because. This is way before the internet. This is before VHS, really. They probably didn't have one of those $2,000 Sylvania top-loading VHS machines. So they had to, like, write down those lyrics when the shit was on TV. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, there's a funny story where Mark Mothersbaugh met Russ Tamblin sometime, and he said that, hey, Russ, you're in my favorite movie. And Russ assumed he was talking about uh, West Side Story, and so they're going on and on, and eventually he figures out that Mark Mothersbaugh is talking about War of the Gargantuas, and is just like horrified that that's his favorite movie of his. I, I did see <laughs> Russ Tamblin at the Castro for a screening of this movie, maybe in the 90s, maybe the early 2000s, and he's learned to live with this movie, probably oh, because good. the Mark Mothersbaugh's of the world and people like us have been bugging him about it all this time, or maybe it's, you know, being in in david lynch things and whatever else he's in has has softened him towards it it's oh yeah i mean there's a lot of love for this movie i mean tim burton and guillermo del toro have talked about their love of this movie you know bands love it i remember white zombie and pantera when they toured together in the 90s the tour was the war of the gargantuas tour so i mean i think <laughs> there's a lot of like generation x that that has a real soft spot for this film. Corey, what kind of weed did you smoke with this movie? Well, I'll tell you, I had a blast with this movie holding a bong in my hand and smoking on Banana Kush. I'll tell you about Banana Kush. Banana Kush is a hybrid marijuana strain made by crossing Ghost OG and Skunk Haze. It results in a strain that tastes and smells like a bushel of fresh bananas. But this was on sale at my local dispensary. That's why I picked it up. But it gives you a mellow buzz alongside a relaxed sense of euphoria. Great choice with dealing with stress, depression. It helps stimulate your creative juices and helps you remain talkative in social settings. So it was a mellow but energetic buzz that got my creative juices flowing and got me through this movie in the most enjoyable way. I recommend Banana Kush. Kevin. Uh, yeah, I had a, there's a company out here called Matter. They make a Indica called Intergalactic, which yes. is a high THC flower that I uh, rolled up into a dube and enjoyed for both these movies. I watched them back to back. And yeah, it, it, it was it was good. It was, uh, you know, definitely did the trick. Give me that company and that strain again. The company is called Matter and the strain is called Intergalactic. Is it? Is it a, is there dispensaries in Ohio? 
medical which i have cool. my card but yeah that's awesome i uh yeah i miss it when it was just medical i'll tell you it was so much better so enjoy it while you have it why what's i'm kind of chomping at the bit for it to get fully legalized oh just because the prices went up crazy and like uh, the quality the quality went down and i would have uh, thought would, it would be the opposite because like there'd be more competition no the weed industry is actually like shutting down in california because the regulations so crazy everywhere shutting down people are moving out it sucks mm. um yeah it wasn't the it wasn't the utopia we thought it was going to be when it was all just medical it was the greatest it was cheap everyone was just like winking like yeah yeah you got and just giving out prescriptions like nothing you know what i mean and uh and now any yeah i don't know something happened like these it's the these rich republicans got into it into the weed business (sighs) and they yeah they messed it all up like they made it that they made it so only they get paid basically and like (laughs) the growers don't and the people you know it's everyone's fucking yeah fucking stupid but um, anyway did you have a weed recommendation yeah i do uh, anytime we're shorthanded i have a weed recommendation yes uh last episode uh, we had cannabis comic ungayo bilam and, and he, he said, said his go-to weed like just like his go-to weed when he's, he's not, not really thinking too much about it is blue dream it's a sativa and oh, i know yeah. we just got through talking about the terrible prices and things but this is a half ounce i got at the harborside dispensary in san leandro for 60 bucks nice it looks good too it looks like the green gargantua like it, <laughs> if, if this could form into a humanoid form that's about 60 feet tall there there's green gargantua there <laughs> it was the right choice because like you know that first scene where that tentacle burst through into the ship and i'm just following the tentacle like like it's actually in the house instead of just watching it on my tv it was the right choice for war of the gargantua so if you're in california and have access to it um if you find an equivalent if you're in ohio and other states uh but yeah it is a it is a classic sativa it's really been getting me through the week blue dream uh, if if you've got it you should smoke it it will get you there for war of the gargantuas sven Gulli, the horror host supreme will be showing war of the gargantuas on me tv on saturday february 25th at 8 p.m 7 central go to svengooley.com for info and if you don't think you can get me tv all it took for me to get it was a 15 dollar digital antenna if you have an actual tv you know you're not watching this stuff on your laptop but you don't have an antenna you should look into getting one because there's lots of free channels out there plus it gives you something to watch when your wi-fi goes down and your wi-fi is gonna fucking go down war of the gargantuas is also streaming on criterion channel as part of their ishiro honda collection and hbo max and you can watch it for free with ads on tubi and youtube All of my Ashiro Honda knowledge and mansplaining in this episode comes from the excellent book, Ashiro Honda, A Life in Film, from Godzilla to Kurosawa, by Steve Rifle and Ed Gajiseski. It not only details the giant monster movies that Honda is famous for, but also the director's lesser-known war movies, family dramas, and light comedies. It's just a fabulous book, and I bought it from mzs.press the bookstore that movie and TV critic Matt Zoller cites runs out of his house. He's got a lot of great titles on film and television there, and he often tweets out codes for special deals, so please check out mzs.press. Seven young people shipwrecked on a mysterious island. The island was deserted. Not even birds or animals dared to come here. What did they find? They were driven to the edge of starvation. Food was scarce, and they were forbidden to eat the mushrooms that grew on the island. 
Fear and hunger turned them against each other. I'll kill you. But Tango will help me live. I haven't been hungry since I left the ship. Mamie. Oh, help me. Help me. Please. Can't we eat the mushrooms now? That would really be the end of us. Akiko! Matongo, the horrible mushrooms. Matongo, the vegetable monster. Can they escape the dreaded Matongo? You'll find out when you see Matongo. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. A tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. And you know, the weather, it started getting rough and the tiny ship was tossed. Only instead of a sunny island where coconuts are always in season, this yacht is shipwrecked on a remote island where the strange mushrooms bring about full-on body horror as our stranded castaways succumb to the allure of the island's pervasive and invasive fungus that turns them into laughing toadstools. As with Gilligan's Island, there's a millionaire, only he's ditching his wife for the movie star, more realistic, plus a professor and a good girl Marianne type joined by a totally conniving Gilligan and a far more morose skipper. But all 60s sitcom parallels aside, this is a more haunting kaiju movie where director Ishiro Honda contemplates the intersection between sexual desire and ghastly mutation over a decade before David Cronenberg gave us shivers and rabid. Known in the United States as Attack of the Mushroom People, this is Matango. Corey, is this your first time seeing this movie? Yes, this is my first time seeing this movie. Bob, there's no kaiju in this movie, are there? Are these, there's no giant monsters crushing any cities in this movie? You tricked well, me. There, there, there's, there's mushroom people at the end, and they aren't like just guys with weird faces. Although there's some of that. There's crazy ass laughing toadstool things and oyster mushroom creatures and all kinds of mushroom creatures. Okay, well, I'll say this movie is. Uh, it starts with a bunch of uh, rich ass motherfuckers on a yacht. I think they're like the elite of Tokyo. There's act. There's a. There's a couple uh, tech CEOs. There's um. A couple actors and models. I don't know. There's a mu- is there a musician? Anyway, it's singer. Like it's, yeah. There's a singer. Thank you. And they get shipwrecked. They're on a they're on a deserted island. And I'm like, good. Fuck the elite. Let's see these people die. They're not particularly likable people. So you're not you're not that sad when they get when disaster happens to them. Uh, but this becomes like a long character study dark drama like uh almost like this this existentialist uh what are we going to do with our lives kind of thing I, I and and i mean it's got to be great acting to keep your attention so i have to say the art direction so beautiful uh, it's such a beautiful movie and if, i might have to soak on this for a while but my initial reaction was gosh this is a really slow moving movie and it maybe it's doing what like night of living dead does with everyone in that house but maybe night of living dead does a little better that being said, the the special effects are so trippy and beautiful in this movie, and the art direction is amazing. Uh, that it does keep it interesting. Um, it's really cool to look at. It's definitely cool to project behind your band if you're playing at a club uh, on mute. It's that pretty. But I had a hard time getting really into uh, the characters in this movie and falling in love with them or being sad when one of them, you know, succumbed to the mushrooms or something like that. This now. The, la- the tail end of this movie starts cooking like nobody's business and it kind of makes it all worth it. What these people on this island, they're so hungry. They're going crazy. They're smoking cigarettes like crazy. I can't believe they brought that many cigarettes. First of all, <laughs> there's so many freaking cigarettes in this movie, which is cool. And 
this is way different than anything. Don't go in expecting a kaiju movie like I did because it is so different. It is, I, it's ambitious. That's what I'll say. It's, it's an ambitious movie, but also it's kind of like Sid and Marty Croft, Sid and Marty Croftish, right? Like they, they, they're, they're kind of, they kind of look have a Sigmund in the Sea Monster movement around them, like they shake a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still cool and it's trippy. And I wish if I was a rich rich man, I would have a room in my house that looks like the last ten minutes of this movie. Also. Peter Gabriel totally stole the design of the Mushroom People for his Slipper Man costume in uh, the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway tour of 1975 with Genesis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look, look that up. It's the it's a mushroom person. But gosh, the the design of the the Mushroom People is so amazing. Yeah, I I see what you mean. I see. I definitely there's a little too much human drama, not quite enough of the Mushroom People breaking it up. But I do like the thing that Honda does where they see like this toadstool creature, the shadow of the toadstool creature moving towards them. And then uh, when it's revealed, it's one of the crew members. It's one of the people like, you, you know, who's becoming a mushroom person because they can kind of become human again for a little bit. Uh, Kevin, your thoughts on the movie? Yeah, this is one that I hadn't seen until maybe about 15 years ago when they started putting these out on DVD and it was around the time when you could get the discs in the mail through Netflix. And I immediately wanted to bridge the gaps on some of my Ishiro Honda uh, films I hadn't seen. And this, this movie kind of falls into, he did three, what I would call not so much Kaiju, but more horror movies. He did the H man in 1958 and then the human vapor in 1960. And then this, which I think are all three, kind of in the same vein where they're not quite kaiju movies they're more horror movies and i think when you watch it in that context i think it helps because if you go into this expecting a kaiju movie i think you're probably going to be disappointed but um i watched all three of those movies around the same time on disc through through netflix and in fact i was looking we did this on junk food dinner on episode seven I mean, like you said, for the, the vast majority of this movie, for the first at least 45, 50 minutes, it's it's essentially a shipwreck movie. Um, there's really not anything even supernatural that happens. Um, it's just these rich people on this yacht. They get marooned. And but does get pretty dark, you, you know, in their desperation, because, you know, obviously they know that they're running out of food, that there is kind of this clock is ticking and there's a lot of distrust between the crew. I mean, obviously the the guys that are like the captain and the first mate don't trust the rich people at all. Nobody trusts like the real rich CEO guy that's just sitting there cleaning his gun the whole time. And he's the only one with a gun. So that obviously adds a whole nother power dynamic. And then there's the two women. And like, they even bring up like, uh, like one of the, I think the, the first mate guy is like talking about how it's like, like eventually like one of us is going to rape one of these ladies. And it's like, Jesus. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Rapey Jesus Gilligan. Christ. Randy yeah. Gilligan. Oh, man. Oy, oy. Yeah, they never talked about that with Marianne and Ginger. Jesus Christ. Uh, but you're right. You know, the power dynamic thing is is interesting. And I did come into it, you know, thinking, oh, we're going to watch a psychedelic kaiju movie. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if this movie had an influence on things like Alien and the thing, and the, you know, the John Carpenter one, because it seems like those characters are the guy just sitting there quietly cleaning his gun, et cetera, et cetera. That, like this kind of sets up that kind well, of dynamic. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, you make the Alien comparison. I think that's apt because, I mean, they find the remains of another ship that has been there previously. Yeah. They find it's all covered in this like creepy fungus stuff. And they like are reading the logs of this like abandoned ship to kind of put together the pieces of what happened right. and the other thing with this is it's you know much like the original godzilla that ichiro honda does did i think this is also 
kind of an allegory for the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, whereas Ooh. like, you know, because he talks about like the the people of this original ship, like they're like, it's like a combination of communist and free world enterprises together. And like the, the people that are affected by the mushrooms, they even have a look of people, some of the survivors of the atomic bomb, you know, with like the bubbly skin and stuff so much so that it was like kind of upsetting to Japanese audiences upon its initial release, because it did invoke flashbacks to victims of the uh, of Hiroshima bombing. So I think there's there that weighs heavily in it as well, and I think when you look at it through those that kind of prism, I, I, again, I think it I, I think it works really really well. And then once you get to the mushroom people at the end, that's kind of like the icing on the cake, because it does get like v- very psychedelic. Because like when they eat the mushrooms, like it even there's that scene where that guy essentially hallucinates, where it has like that animated like sparkly sequence, and he's yes. just like hallucinating like those dance women and stuff like that's like a really trippy scene and uh, uh, for yeah. stoners especially that's gonna be like your you know your money shot that's like where you, that you know, scene you're is gonna, so awesome yeah and then after that i mean obviously you get the forest full of mushroom people and stuff and you know and that's all fun but yeah i think that scene where the guy originally hallucinates that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie it's almost like a busby berkeley thing you know it goes totally, into this yeah. busley busby berkeley kind of dance psychedelia for a little bit yeah is shiro honda by the way like i said in a previous episode in the all monsters attack godzilla's revenge episode that he was like a protege of um akira kurosawa and that's wrong uh he came up at the same time through toho and japanese filmmaking with akira kurosawa so they were contemporaries but kurosawa managed to stay out of world war ii where where Ishiro Honda was like drafted three times. He was mm-hmm. activated three times. Uh, he served in China. He was a POW for a while. Uh, he had very bad experience in the war. And he said that thinking of getting back to filmmaking was the only thing that kept him from going insane through that experience. But on his return home, when he was uh, at the end of the war, when he was returned home to Japan, he went through Hiroshima like right after the bombing and had seen the devastated city, which definitely informs <laughs> this is a guy who made movies with devastated, more movies with devastated cities than anybody probably right. in the history of movies. And uh, so it definitely informs Godzilla. It informs this. It informs a lot of what he does, both the kind of kitschier, more fun kaiju movies and the very, very dark ones, which are the first Gojira and, and this film. And uh, before we move on to, anything else i have to say ishiro honda is the old movies for young stoners champion director three times three times on this show three movies of his we haven't even talked about him orson wells movie no hitchcock no fritz lang no billy wilder billy wilder is in our fucking theme song by chucky the (laughs) funk wizard and we have not done a billy wilder movie yet haven't done king kong but ishiro honda you are the old movies for young stoners championship director he's my favorite director now because <laughs> yeah, yeah, you show me all his movies this movie ends so dark and bleakly <laughs> and um i won't spoil it at the end but it does it, it, it's like ask some existential questions uh who are the real monsters is one of them and would i just be happier as a mushroom person so really makes you think and thank you for cracking open the political thing for me i knew this movie was had was some sort of political statement but i'm too dumb to uh know what it was so thank you for uh helping me with that you guys 
he's he's definitely making a commentary on Japanese society and Japanese income inequality, if you will, at the time. He's definitely talking about like Sony execs or Pioneer execs, yeah. you know. That's that's yeah. electronics execs. That's what that one guy is. He's definitely like a Mitsubishi type exec, the guy with the gun. Uh, I watched the Criterion version first, and then I watched the dubbed version, and it's not a very good print, a very washed out print on Tubi. But I watched it, and they're the same movie. There isn't really anything different, but it's amazing how much is lost in translation in the dubbed version. Like, you just don't get any of that kind of class conflict at all. Like, it's there, and you realize, like, yeah, that's one way you could translate that piece of dialogue, but it just, a lot is lost in that one. Interesting. You watch the Criterion one if you've got it, definitely. Please, everyone, watch that Criterion version. It looks out of this world. Like, it's so beautiful. Why wasn't everything made looking like that back then? You know what I mean? It's so good. Yeah, the other thing that I really picked up watching this is I, I really like the fashion in this movie. All the rich yeah. people are dressed, like, really cool. I, like, I love that era of 60s fashion with, like, the turtlenecks and, like, the they've got those medallions on and like uh even like the uh the rapey gilligan guy he wears like these like cool <laughs> these cool tank tops that look like they're out of like a surf shop in 1982 rather than 1966 you know very cool fashions totally uh i love how kumi mizuno gets sexier the more mushroom infected she is <laughs> yeah it really does or eating a mushroom somehow adds a layer of makeup to her face magic <laughs> <laughs> Like that scene, like it looks like a, a scene from a commercial, like a surreal commercial where she's eating the mushroom and she's just glowing. Like she's sexy from this first scene where she's singing that song, which is the same song in both movies because it has no lyrics. She's just going, da 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 you know, and it's, it becomes like an Elvis movie almost where they're on the <laughs> ship and there's all of a sudden a steel pedal Hawaiian guitar, slide guitar going on out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, it becomes a musical for a second. This movie kind of becomes a musical a couple of times i almost wish there was a little more of that in this movie she just becomes hotter and hotter the more she becomes a mushroom person which is which is a very kind of cronenberg thing because like in those early cronenberg movies those first two uh shivers and rabbit it's like you become infected and then you just become this crazy orgy fucking creature and uh this movie foreshadows that as well i wonder if it was an influence on cronenberg yeah, I wouldn't have been able to hold out at all. I would not have been the guy that held out till the end. Uh, I would have eaten the <laughs> mushrooms immediately. Because, I mean, like, let's face it, you're starving to death. You're about to die. Like, what do you got to lose? I'd eat the mushrooms. You eat mushrooms, you trip out and, like, get in a giant mushroom orgy with other mushroom people. Sign me up, dude. That's better than starving to death on a ship somewhere. It is. Uh, this movie is topical now, too, because Last of Us, uh, the hit HBO zombie show, those are zombie mushrooms. They are created by fungus and they have toadstools growing out of their head and stuff. So uh, Attack of the Mushroom People, uh, Matango is still influential today. And I wasn't even going to really watch that show because I'm kind of bored of the apocalypse. You know, we're seeing the apocalypse happen in real time, folks. I'm sorry. But I'm like, <laughs> ah, I don't want to watch more, you know zombie apocalypse but for this show i watched the first episode and it is a definitely a better version of walking dead but yeah it's mushroom people matango it's real i ain't watching no show based on a video game what do you think i am unless it's cubert or some shit yeah yeah no <laughs> i i mean with apocalypse stuff too it's like i'll watch like mad max fury road or a mad max thing or romero's dawn of the dead 
I, you know, I, I can watch it if there's a little bit of satire and a little bit of kitsch or something to it. But when it's trying to be so real and, and just so dour, I'm like, man, I think about this shit all the time. You know, California is on fire half the year now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't unless it's helping me through a catharsis, helping me deal with the shittiness of our real world in a cathartic way. I, I'm just not going to. Everything's deal. bleak right now. Look at the look at the Oscar noms for best picture. It's all 100 percent bleak, bleak, bleakness. In fact, if Matango came out today, it would probably be nominated for a best picture right now everything everywhere all at once is the only one that's not like super like i'm gonna eat my fingers and i'm stuck on a boat and i'm getting sexually harassed and i'm vomiting on this boat too that's every movie this year <laughs> man you must have seen a different movie when you saw elvis with elvis crying well in elvis theater. elvis and fablemans and everything everywhere but there's like also 16 movies up for best numbers yeah so. yeah yeah you know <laughs> oh by the way i meant to mention this in the beginning what kind of weed would you smoke with elvis because this is a movie we kind of adopted we built a whole episode around it and it is a baz lerman's elvis is a trippy movie so uh, you know what and gaio was right blue dream of fuzzy buzzy uh sativa is the one for elvis or maybe a hybrid with a little bit of indica in it just to for the psychedelic trippiness factor but you want to be it's like you want to like drink a cup of coffee during elvis you know you don't want to have a glass of Wine. yeah yeah uh, any thoughts on what you would take with elvis before we get into what you'll take with matango uh kevin uh i pr probably prescription pills seems like the elvis way i i did watch it on norco and yeah you know he's right <laughs> i would take you know i want to watch it on one of the mushroom people mushrooms that's what i want to watch <laughs> okay so okay uh kevin what kind of weed did you smoke with matango i know what kind he smoked go on kevin yeah, it was the same thing that intergalactic. Uh, if uh, I'll give you the leafly description, it's uh, searching for a strain that's out of this world. Look no further than intergalactic. The stars have aligned for this Orange Valley OG and the Cube. I guess that's the two strains. That's mixed the two together. strains. Yeah, mixed. yeah. Create rich aromas, including a pleasant blend of sweet and fresh citrus, along with natural earthy tones. I would say I got all that and more i was kind of disappointed i was like i keep a little stash of, of um, psilocybin mushrooms around normally but i didn't have any because i was like maybe a little a little mushroom for the mushroom people but no luck i just <laughs> stuck with the weed dude it would make it would make me too depressed you know it's yeah it's like exactly a, it's a mirror to the universe it's yeah. a depressing one <laughs> There's a church in Oakland that sells quasi-legally uh, psychedelic mushrooms, and I almost went and got it for this. And I, I, was, I, a, just, I was a member of said church. When oh, I okay. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of seemed like there was a bar to entry. So I'm like, it's Attack of the Mushroom People. It's Mushroom People. So I went with the gummy that is the most like mushrooms in my estimation, which is the Luchador gummy. I've talked about it before. It is a 10 milligram strawberry gummy. Uh, let me read. Let me read this little review here. Uh, Step into the ring with Luchador, the succulent cannabis-infused gummies that help you fight whatever the day brings. <laughs> La Fresha is a strawberry dragon fruit pataya, vegan Luchador that strikes with succulent power slam, and that's the one I took. And you will have the Luchadors, as Greg Franklin said when I gave him a Luchador once, that the uh, Luchadors were doing triple planchas off his brain. But that being said. 
this movie is slower than I remembered it, or it's more moody and atmospheric. And I, I wish I would have just gone with blue dream for it. I, I, you know, taking mushrooms, like you said, taking mushrooms or acid and tripping, tripping balls through this movie, isn't really the way to go with it, despite it's kind of fungal theme. So it's, it's already psychedelic enough. Just smoke a hella doobie like Kevin did. And this, you'll be good. You'll be good with this movie. I did the wrong thing. I'll tell you what I did. I picked up a four pack. You know, I've, I've talked about it on the show before, but it's the Pabst Blue Ribbon THC Cannabis Infused Hard <laughs> Seltzer. Now, <laughs> I I was like, it said new formula. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try the new formula. They're 10 milligrams a can. So I said, I'll try this Pabst uh, brand loyalty. Let's do it. I should have got a mom and pop smaller company uh, soda. I love these THC sodas and hard seltzers. Um, and now there's like canned cocktails too. But uh, I, I drank one of these, was watching this movie, like fucking 40 minutes in. I haven't seen a mushroom person yet. Down to another one. How's the other three? Like qu- pretty quickly before the movie's over. I didn't feel a thing off these things. I should have just smoked a doobie. So I don't recommend the Pabst Blue Ribbon high seltzer. Don't don't get as fucked up as you think you need to be to watch this movie. This movie's a kind of slow burn. It's it's a very atmospheric, got a lot of mood, you know, and it got a lot of also class commentary in it, income inequality and and everything else. So, yeah, like just just stick with Blue Dream or smoke a doobie, watch it. It's mellow. The subtitled version of Batango is streaming now on Criterion Channel as part of their Ishiro Honda collection, and the English dub, titled Attack of the Mushroom People, is available free with ads on Tubi. I have to say, though, watch the subtitled one if you can. It's better in every way. It's better visually. It's better thematically. It's just better. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on our Psychedelic Kaiju episode. Um, I this is oh, yeah. huge for me to have you on uh, you like I said you're my number one podcaster of all time so it's a huge honor for me to share the mic with you on this episode and I value your thoughts and opinions on film and television so much thank you so much for so many years of great podcasting um, you uh, are you guys are in the middle of sci-fi February right now and then March is the last weekly cadence for you on junk food dinner is there anything lined up for march that's special or is it just going to be a normal last month no it is we're, we're going out with a bang we because it is our last month of doing weekly shows we are really leaning into like cult classics that we haven't done yet believe it or not after 655 episodes there are still some really big ones that we haven't gotten around to still kind of working out the details but like rocky horror picture show for example we've never done oh on my the god. show yeah oh my god because so, so, it's because <laughs> a lot of them seem too obvious like we we're like ah that's just yeah, that, that, everyone's talked about that but there's a lot of heavy hitters in march coming that we haven't gotten around to that we're gonna do especially for for march so check out junkfooddinner.com for that or anywhere where you get podcasts besides spotify because fuck spotify yeah totally and and uh and uh yeah everyone if you haven't listened to junk food dinner please uh if you love people talking about movies it's the best there is out there they're the best that do it oh thank you i appreciate that so that wraps up our look at some of the more bizarre japanese monster movies Join us in March as we celebrate International Women's Day. By suggestion of our co-host, Felina Franklin, who will be back for this episode, 
And, you know, the show's really been a sausage fest movie wise. You know, it's all been male <laughs> directors. Most of them Ishiro Honda of Japan. But, you know, but we're going to highlight some women directors next month with Cleo from five to seven by Agnes Varda and the hitchhiker from Ida Lupino. Stick that in your pen and vape it in early March right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners. We love you, Greg and Felina. 